this morning, but there's nothing like a Johnny and Chachi video to make everything okay. It's just a soothing balm uh, for the soul. Well, when we started our series in the Gospel of John a few weeks ago, I told you prophetically about this day. I did. I, I said to you that on this Sunday that Beth's brother Brady who is visiting from Switzerland, and his wife Stephanie would be here today. And uh, now, being from Switzerland, this, of course, makes Brady and Stephanie win the prize for furthest traveled to be here. Now, they usually have that experience, but you need to know that it was close this Sunday, is very close, because see, uh, Lausanne, Switzerland, where they're from, it's about uh, 482 uh, uh, miles, 4,824 uh, 4, miles. I'm getting confused because I'm trying to do the conversion in kilometers, so they'll understand. It's about 7,000 a bunch. And, and see, what happens is you, you win the prize today only by about 500 kilometers, because Aisa, she is from A Coruña in Spain. And uh, so otherwise, she would have been the furthest and has been for a while. Now, if Aisa had only been from Barcelona, then she would have beat you guys by 10 kilometers. So you still, you still get that today. Now, all that to say that uh, Brady is the one of whom I said, after me comes one who is well-versed in the Gospel of John, He whose leather Bible I am not worthy to hold. So with that in mind, if you'd go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, and we're going to take a little detour this morning uh, just to avoid any any embarrassment. No, each week we've been, I say we've been looking at the Gospel of John, but we haven't even gotten out of the first chapter. Each week we've been looking at the Gospel of John, but we've been looking specifically and deliberately at the relationships that we read about in the Gospel of John. We're looking how people's lives are impacted because of the time that they have spent with Jesus. And I'm doing this on purpose because I'm trying to reinterpret, to deconstruct and reconstruct this idea of discipleship or what it means to make disciples. I don't want to look at it from a programmatic kind of way because any programmatic approach to discipleship turns problematic. And and the reason for this is because we as performance-oriented people, we don't know how. We don't know how to look at anything without starting to measure results. And, And so discipleship often becomes a question of, have you been a good disciple? Have you been a bad disciple? And worse, how many people have you discipled? And so we start playing this ridiculous numbers game that the only way to measure the impact is by, well, what do the numbers look like? And it's such a carnal way to look at things. It's such a deviation from what Jesus had in mind with people that He would call to follow Him, and He was calling them first and foremost into relationship with Him so that they would come to know Him so deeply 
that they would practice His way. So that's my aim as we work through the first chapter of John. To focus and just slow down and look at these relationships. So I guess what I'm telling you is I want to remove all the fillers and all the hormones from discipleship. I mean, I want organic, free-range discipleship. That's what I want. I want it to be as natural, as natural as you having a conversation with a friend. So today in John chapter 1, we're going to look at two stories, two followers of Jesus. We're going to look at their encounter with Jesus. We're going to look at their experience with Jesus. But those are great. But more so, we're going to look at what happened because of their encounter and experience with Jesus that they engaged others to encounter and experience Him. Let's pray together. Father, would You, as we open Your Word, would You open our hearts and our minds, would You speak truth to us today as You continue to woo us into a relationship with You? We pray through Christ. Amen. Okay, let's, let's just backtrack a little bit, which is why we'll never get out of the chapter one. Let's backtrack just a little bit so that we can set the stage for what's going on in the lives of two people. One is named Andrew and one is named Philip. I want to look at them this morning. But I want to backtrack, and if you're looking in your Bibles, you'll see that in verse 35, this, this sequence opens, and I love the way the Bible just says this, that the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. I mean, wouldn't it be great if they had heard of planking, right? And then there's John the Baptist is planking with two of his disciples right there. I mean, but, but why? John the Baptist is standing there with two of his disciples. And as we saw last week, he sees Jesus walking by for the second time, and he says for the second time in the presence or the, uh, for his disciples to hear, Behold, the Lamb of God. John has been telling his own followers, this is the one who has come to take away the sin of the world. And immediately after hearing JTB say this, two of his disciples, they immediately leave him and start following Jesus. I mean, they literally are walking behind them, and Jesus stops and turns to them and asks this important question, what are you seeking And they don't really answer the question, but in some ways they do answer the question because what they say to Jesus in response is, yeah, where are you staying? And Jesus replies to that with, well, come and see, come and see. Okay, here's where the Bible goes silent, okay? Because these two followers of John go with Jesus and we know they spend the better part of a day with Him. And the Bible is silent about what happened. There's no record of the conversation, no transcript, not even any video footage that we can go back into the archives. I was going to say microfish, but that was probably just way out there for so many of you. And, and what's interesting is, you know, we could guess or we could speculate as to what's happening when Jesus is there and spending that afternoon with these two disciples. I mean, does He show them the Jewel Miller film strips? The original, wait for the beep. What does Jesus do in this moment? What's going on there? I, I think it's safe to say 
And probably the only thing that we need to say is that conversation between those two disciples and Jesus had everything to do with who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. Because if you'll notice in the text, after this event occurs, as the stories of both Andrew and Philip unfold, you look in verse 41, when Andrew goes to his brother, he says, we have found the Messiah. That's giving us a clue as to what they were talking about and what was happening when they're spending that time, that afternoon with Jesus. He leaves from there because we know he was one of those two followers and says, we have found the Messiah. And Philip, he has this same reaction when he goes and finds Nathanael in verse 44. He says, we have found the one whom Moses, the law, and also the prophets wrote about. And and, and the surprise statement there that we'll look at next week is that it's Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Can you see the delight and the excitement when they get to go tell somebody, we have found him. We found him. We found the Messiah, the one that the law, Moses and the prophets have talked about. But we're getting ahead of ourselves there in a second. So let's just, let's take a little closer look at Andrew. We know that Andrew was one of the two disciples of John who spent the day with Jesus. And we also know that Andrew has a brother by the name of Simon Peter. We're going to talk about him in just a second. But Andrew has this encounter with Jesus. He spends time with Jesus. He has this experience with Jesus. And whatever it is that occurs in that moment, in that afternoon, in that day with Jesus, this brief moment with Jesus has a lasting impact on the life of Andrew. This moment is is often overlooked because it's this experience with Jesus, it's this experience and encounter with Jesus that engages Andrew to go find his brother. And when we first meet him, his name is Simon, and we don't know much about him. We don't even know if he likes drawings. But Andrew is the disciple who is famous for, are you ready? He's famous for having a brother named Peter. That's what he's famous for. I mean, his biblical record is that he is the one who found Peter. And so at this point, Simon's unknown to us. It's, listen, it's intriguing for me to think about that we know the Apostle Peter. We know of the Apostle Peter because Andrew spent an afternoon with Jesus. And he went and found his brother and said, we found him. It's intriguing for me to think about that. Uh, Again, in verse 41, if you're looking at this, I I love the way it said this, that Andrew, in verse 41, it says, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Andrew says, we have found the Messiah, and I love verse 42. It is in, don't make me choose which one is my favorite Bible verse, because I love all my Bible verses equally. But verse 42 is so high up on the list. I love the first sentence of John 1, 42. He brought him to Jesus. I love that. I mean, I read into it. Maybe I'm reading into it. I read into this that only Andrew, his brother, could have brought Peter to Jesus. It's the only one. 
And so we have his story, which is about this much in the whole Bible. It's about this much, and it's just this moment of him bringing. I love this, that he brought him to Jesus. It doesn't get much better than this. Especially if you think about people in our own lives that we know and that we love that need Jesus. People that we can think about even right now that we, our hearts would overflow with gladness to hear and to understand that they have been brought to Jesus. So I want to I stop right now and I just want us to pray. Because there are people in our lives that we need this first sentence to be true of. They need to be brought to Jesus. And more than that, they need to be brought to Jesus. We need to see our purpose in this. We need to see the role that we have to play. And how can we expect to engage others and bring them to Christ if we're not encountering and experience Him on a deep, profound level every day of our lives? Now, I say we're going to pray, but I'm going to be quiet. I just want us all to pause and take a moment and just pray for the person that you're thinking about right now, that they're brought to Jesus. Father, we ask that you hear our prayer through Jesus the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. I just don't know what happened when we, when we thought it was the church's job to bring people that we know and love to Christ. That when we thought it was the youth ministry's job or the children's ministry job or this program or this, when did we think that that, that assignment, that that responsibility would be, would be given to anybody but us who are in the lives of, of people in a much more intimate and personal and vulnerable way? So part of this reason that discipleship has gotten off track is that we've gotten off track. As I said last week, we've made it more complicated than it needs to be. And so we need to spend more time encountering and experiencing Him. Now, as we saw last week, uh, with the two disciples, Jesus does the same thing with Simon. He does the exact same thing. Verse 38 says that Jesus looked at him. He looked at him first and He says, I mean, this is great, but I want you to notice the difference. We're going to pay attention to a really important moment in Scripture here. Because in verse 42, we see that Jesus looks at Simon, and He looks at him and He says, look at what He says, You are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas. And we have a parenthetical note because Cephas would have been an Aramaic word, and Peter is the Greek word, and they both mean the same thing. This is a fantastic moment in Scripture. I mean, can you imagine, have you ever met any, anybody that you tell them their name and they say, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to call you this instead? 
I mean, people usually do that with me, but it's behind my back. Can you imagine coming face to face with Jesus? And he says, yeah, your name is Simon. You are the son of John. But from here, from evermore, you're going to be called Cephas. And so you read in your Bibles, and that word Cephas comes up over and over, as does the name Peter. And so just like God changes the name of Abram, to Abraham, just like he changes Sarai to Sarah, just like he changes Jacob to Israel, Jesus is changing the name of Peter. Have you ever stopped to think why? As to what's happening here, what's going on? What Jesus is doing here is he is telling him right now, Peter, I'm going to tell you what the result is going to be of you being with me. I'm telling you right now in this name change how your life will be transformed because you follow me. Boy, I missed this the first time and second time and the hundredth time I ever looked at the name Simon Peter. And I was reading a commentary this week and the person said, if you'll notice what's going on here, that what Jesus is doing with Peter is he is telling him, he's speaking to him in this new name from here on out. I want you to carry with you the reality of transformation. You see, because Simon in the Old Testament was the second son of Jacob, Simeon. Same name. And if you know anything about Simeon, Simeon was the one along with his brother brutally avenged a wrong that had been done to his sister. And when we come across Simon throughout the Scriptures, he's a pretty honest, I mean, he's a pretty, you know, he's out there, Jerry. I mean, he's this kind of guy. I mean, he's impulsive. I mean, he's not afraid to speak up. You know, and and John says that in this most crucial moment, it's Peter who picks up the sword to defend Jesus. He's resorting to, to violence. He says, Jesus, I'll save you. And Jesus is saying, Peter, you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what you're doing. And so this whole idea of what's happening here is that Simon comes to Jesus as an impulsive, speak before you think, act before you've had time to process it through, and Simon goes from shifting sand to solid rock. And you know how it happens? It's because he's with Jesus. Simon doesn't become Peter because he just tries harder. Simon doesn't become who Peter becomes because he, you know, 152 easy steps to being the best you. Simon becomes Peter because he stops seeing Jesus as useful and starts seeing him as beautiful. And when the love of Jesus overwhelms Simon, he becomes Peter. The one who stands before a group of people and says, You need to know this, and you need to hear me now, that this Jesus, the one you crucified, he is Lord and Christ. Peter is transformed because of his relationship and association with Jesus. Now, this is so fascinating to me because, well, first of all, it shows us the beautiful thing of gospel transformation. It shows us the need and the necessity of becoming gospel-shaped. 
that Simon comes to Peter and Peter says, Simon says to, uh, Jesus says to Simon, I'm accepting you just as you are right now. I'm accepting you just as you are, but I'm not leaving you there. I'm not leaving you this way. You will be transformed because of your relationship with me. Wow, boy, this is why I will never get out of John 1. And for my final sermon as I retire, John 1. So the first story of the story of Andrew is about one who was pointed to Jesus by JTB and who he himself pointed Andrew, his bro- uh, Simon, his brother, to Jesus. And do you know what we hear from Andrew from then on? Not much. Not much. We do not hear much about Andrew from that moment on. I mean, his brother Peter gets the majority of the screen time. We don't hear much about him. He gets about as much screen time as the subject of our next story does a man by the name of Philip. Now, the story of Philip begins in a much different way. You see, in our previous encounters with Jesus, they were coming to Him or people were being brought to Him. But I want you to notice something, that Philip's story starts in a, in a much different way. Look at verse 43, the next day, this is after he changes Peter's name, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, if you thought I liked that other verse, think of how much more I like this verse. Of not only us bringing people to Jesus, but Jesus finding people. Listen what's going on here. Jesus decides to go to Galilee. It's a different region. Jesus decides to go there, and the first thing He does, don't you see? He's going there to find Philip. And so, unlike all the other encounters where people are being brought to Jesus, Jesus is going to Philip to find him. So, as we're praying about people that we know and that we love who who need Jesus, who need to be brought to Jesus, let's be praying that Jesus finds them. That Jesus breaks in to their heart. And you know what? Just like Andrew, Philip doesn't get much coverage from here on out. In fact, He only appears in about four places in the Gospel of John here, and twice with Andrew, they appear in the same narrative, and that's about it. The Philip that you read about in the uh, the Acts of the Apostles, it's a different Philip. It's Philip the Evangelist. And I really do have a point about this. There's no gospel according to Philip. There's no a letter from Philip to the church in Philippi even, which would have made a lot of sense. But you don't hear much from Philip from here on, except you have this really interesting moment. I mean, at least Andrew in a couple of places is listed as being with Peter, James, and John with Jesus. And so just like Andrew reaches Philip just like Philip reaches Nathaniel, which is our next story for next week. 
Philip has this amazing moment in the Gospel of John when some Greeks who are at a religious festival, they know that Philip is from Bethsaida. They know that that's where he's from. And the Bible tells us they come to him with the greatest request of all time, sir, we would like to see Jesus. And you know what Philip does? He goes and gets Andrew. And you know what Philip and Andrew do? (laughs) They, They bring these people to Jesus. I mean, count me in as that's the best job ever. I mean, count me in that that is the best. What do you do? I bring people to Jesus. Which is a lot different than saying I'm an evangelist. I bring people to Jesus. Listen, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the importance and power of these obscure people, of these stories. I mean, on the larger sense of of, of the biblical record, we just don't know much about Philip and Andrew. And that's the same way in our lives, in our time. I mean, there are some people who have a great impact in the kingdom, and and you cannot even measure the impact that that they have. I mean, you think about men like Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards. You think about men like Charles Wesley or, or Dallas Willard or, or Prentice Metter, of Timothy Keller, Mike Cope, Max Licato, and Myron Mizell. My point is this. Some of us are just not going to have that great of impact. But it's okay. It's okay. Because sometimes we just won't know the measure of impact that we'll have if we're just in that humility and awareness, just willing to walk with people as they walk with Jesus. Our story of encountering and experiencing Jesus is no less important. Even in a culture as we live in today where it seems that our influence as a church is waning. Okay. So we're not the size of church that we used to be 10 years ago, 12 months ago, 6 weeks ago. So we're not that size of church. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Size of church does not matter. Hearts of people who are engaging and encountering and experiencing Jesus, that's what matters. So, you know, the second that we'll stop trying to be the church that we used to be and stop trying to be some other church from town and start being the church that God has equipped us and gifted us to be right now, oh, happy day. Because ultimately, we want to be a church where people encounter and experience Jesus. That's it. That's it. And who better to encounter and experience Jesus? Who better than for people to come into this place to be with people who daily are encountering and experiencing Him? So, so if, if our culture is seeing less and less of a need for church Maybe it's time we started redefining how we see church and what we think church should do. I mean, maybe we should start moving from religion to relationships. 
Maybe we should start moving from buildings to homes. Maybe we should say, listen, there is someone in my life right now that this church is not going to reach for Jesus Christ. But I can. I can. Because do you know what the story of Andrew and Philip ultimately teach us? That a friend talking to a friend about Jesus and a family member talking to a family member about Jesus is the most effective way to reach someone for Christ. It's the most effective way and sometimes it will be the only way. I said to you this last week and I'm sticking by it. And I appreciate Craig for pointing out something to me last week. A disciple of Jesus is one who abides in the Word of Jesus, who practices the love of Jesus, and bears fruit for Jesus. And Craig said, man, that is an important order. It's important to get them in that order. Because we're not going to get to this part of bearing fruit for Jesus unless we're abiding with Jesus. And practicing the love of Jesus. So that order is intentional. It's deliberate and necessary. Listen, today, right now, your response to Jesus has everything to do with your faith in Him. It's not about your faith or your faithfulness. It's about your faith in Him. That He is who He says He is. And that you understand that He came to do what He has come to do. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Apostle Paul says, God made Him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So, by faith, we receive Jesus. And we do this in word and in deed. We follow Him in faith as we confess that He is Lord. And we follow Him in obedience as we are surrendering to His Lordship in baptism. It's all about faith. It's all about you believing that He is the one who has come to take away sin. By faith, we stand before God and we say, accept Jesus Christ, His work, and His righteousness as mine. This is what it means to be a disciple, to encounter, to experience, and to engage others in that same hope. Let's pray. Father, how great is Your love for us. How great is Your love. I pray that right now that Your Spirit would come into our hearts and would convict us to see Jesus for who He is, to accept His work on our behalf. And even if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that You would cause them to rise up and come and follow You. This is our prayer through Christ. Amen. We're going to stand together and we're going to sharing some songs together. And our elders are going to be down front. They're going to be in the breaks. And if you want to receive Jesus Christ this morning, there is no better day than today.